Thank you, worship team. Happy New Year. You guys braved the cold, which is like, this is normal Wisconsin weather though, right? So, praise God for a new year, and as we get into this, we're still in our Corinthian series, and I couldn't have planned this uh, any better. God's the one who set our calendar as we were going through Corinthians and how the holidays fell and different things, and, and then 15... What's, what's the message you start with for a new year? And God has us in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's the gospel. Just focusing on Christ. Like, I'm sure that there's churches today that are pausing. They're like, oh, it's a new year. We've got we to gotta go back to the gospel. But God has been so good bringing us along. We have seen throughout this entire series how the word has just met us where we were in our circumstances, in our culture, in this moment. So when we say we are a church who believes that the Bible is sufficient, we have seen the sufficiency of the Scripture time and time again in the past year, and we're going to see it throughout all this year. I'm just confident in it. God's going to do some awesome, amazing things in this year to come. Do you believe it? I mean, that's really the question. Do you believe it? I mean, we... We pray that God will move and he'll stir and he'll change our, our neighborhoods and, and break into hearts and people will be saved and things transformed and our lives will be changed and transformed. And we look to God for all these awesome things, but do we believe it? I pray that as we look at the gospel, it'll just reset your face on Christ looking to him, saying, yes, I believe this. We serve a God who changes everything, who redeems, who transforms, who is powerful, who is good. So as we jump in here, if you have your scriptures, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to see how Paul, as he's ending this letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15 is, is really the the bringing it together, it's an apologetics chapter. He's, he's dealing with issues, but he's, he wants to end with the gospel, the focus on the gospel, 15 and 16. 16 is the wrap-up, but 15 is like, guys, it's about the gospel. All this stuff we talked about comes back to Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection. It all comes back to here. So we will be looking at that today and how it applies and how it just sets the course for the next year. So 1 Corinthians 15, we'll go through verses 1 through 8. Uh, if you have your scriptures, you can read with me. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. This is what Paul writes. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, 
most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we go through this few verses here, Holy Spirit, teach us. As Paul is, is teaching the church at Corinth, he's, you're teaching us today through this revelation. We just ask that our hearts would just be open to receive and that you would just set our hearts and our minds and our face on Christ for the year to come, that nothing would sway us, that we would see that this is what it's truly about, about our Savior who came for man to give us new life, to make things right. And that is for everyone. And so we, we want to just sit this morning in these truths. And we want to just set our determination once again. We, we ask that you help us with it. It's not a resolution. It's a, it's a setting of the Spirit on you. We just ask that you give us the strength in the year to come. We know you will. To stand, to hold fast. So teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In verses 1 and 2, Paul says to them, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, which you stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word. So he talks about this gospel that he preached to them. So verses 1 and 2, he's just he's talking about what he did. Verses 3 and 4, he's going to unpack it. He's going to talk about the content of that gospel. But here, what he says to them in this first couple of verses is, he says in verses 1 and 2 that, that those who have received it are the ones who benefit from it. That's important. He says, I preached a message to you. I gave a message to you. But that message doesn't benefit you at all unless you receive it. Unless you believe this and receive it, it, it doesn't change anything. So this, this word gospel, and we say it all the time here, uh, and maybe you already have heard this, but it just means good news. And we get that expression, oh, that's the gospel truth. Like, that gospel just means good news. It could be about anything. It could be the good news of anything. But the best news, the greatest news in all the universe is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the good news that God sent a Savior to, to redeem mankind who was fallen in sin, to pay for our punishment. So we hear this word gospel attached to Jesus, but it, he's, it's just the good news. And in this time period, they used that a lot. They would say, this is the gospel of whatever. Here's the good news of this message I'm bringing you. So the gospel means good news. And he says, the best news, the message that I brought you is this message of Jesus Christ. He says, it was a message that you received. He says, it's the gospel I preached, is the gospel of Jesus, which you received. The gospel received. The gospel, to be good news for us, 
must be believed and accepted. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So he's saying to them, this gospel that you have received changes your life. See, without faith, it's just an interesting story. I mean, you don't have to believe it to understand it. But you have to believe it for it to transform you, to make you born again. I mean, you think about all the different apologetics conferences and things that are out there. There's smart men and women who study the Bible, who study the gospel, the Christian believes, and they don't believe it, but they know what you believe very well. Why? Because they're going to argue against it. And there's Christians out there who do the same. We, we study and we understand the, the different theories and philosophies and thoughts of the world. Why? Because we want to bring the truth to bear against it. We want to show that the gospel is the truth. So I don't have to believe in evolution to understand it. Paul's saying, if you don't have faith in this gospel, it's just an interesting story. But you received it. That's what he says to them. He says, you believed it. You said, yeah, this is true. And you applied it to your life. You surrendered to it. You gave your life to Christ. So he says, you have believed this message. It's not from Paul, it's, it's from God, and it's, it's what God has done through Christ. And he says, I'm delivering that to you. I'm giving to you what I also received, what I also believe. And he says, and you have received it. He says, it's the gospel in which you stand. It's the gospel in which you stand and by which you're being saved. I want to encourage you in this moment. Think about all of those that you know who have received this gospel message. And they struggle. They struggle to live in it. Like, you saw that moment where they said yes. And maybe you're one of these. Maybe you're one of these people who's really struggling with walking in the fullness of the gospel. You said yes to it, I believe it, but yet things of the world, sin of the flesh, desires, all of these things cause stumbling and cause struggles. And then we watch our friends, families, neighbors, coworkers who have received this gospel at one point, we're like, I know, like, man, they, they were at church for a while and they, they, they say they believe these things, but man, they... It's just, I don't see it in their life right now. Paul says, this gospel saves. We can take heart. We can be encouraged. God's still working. He's working in those moments where it doesn't look like he's working. He says, if they've believed, it's saving them. It's, it's working. And now we want them to come into alignment with what God has for the greatest joy, the abundant life that's there for them. But, but he says, you guys are standing in it. You're being transformed by it. 
See, think about the Corinthian church he's writing this to. I mean, think about the letter we just have gone through for quite some time now. The Corinthians are struggling with carnality. They're struggling with a lack of understanding really what God's will is for their life. They're not walking in it. There's strife in the church. There's divisions in their church. There's immorality. There's even odd spirituality happening around the gifts and things. But Paul says, but you've believed. you've, You've believed this. You've received this and stand in it. What he says is that you've believed this good news of Jesus. What you need now is to grow in your sanctification. You need to start walking in it. Don't forsake it. Hold on to it. Walk in it. So we can be encouraged because we can think about people in our lives who have heard this gospel and are really struggling right now. Don't give up on them. Don't be like, well, they don't really believe. No, they could very well be just like this. It even could be one of you where you're, you're hearing this and you're like, Rob, if you saw... If you pull back the curtain like the Wizard of Oz and saw the wizard behind the, the curtain and, you like, and saw my life, you would know that I'm just here with these guys. Like, I say these things, but I'm really struggling. Paul says, this gospel saves. It saves you. Stand in it. Now, juxtapose that, though, to those in Galatia who quickly moved away from the gospel. Galatians 1.6, there's a difference. Here, Paul says this to him. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What does that mean? Well, that means there's those who have heard this and they say, yeah, that Jesus sounds awesome. Oh, I like your church. It's so friendly. Oh, I love these songs. And they're there for a while. And they say, yeah, I want that Jesus. And they, they make a profession. And then something else comes along and they go, ooh, that's shiny and new. I like that better. And they go over there. Did they really believe? Did they really give their life? Paul say, no, they didn't. He says, I'm so astonished that you heard this good news and you can go for something else. You've walked away. There's a difference. There's a difference for those who say, I believe it, and I'm struggling in the flesh to surrender and become that new man. To those who say, yeah, I believe it. Oh, I believe this now. Oh, in a month, I'm going to believe this because this sounds good. Paul's saying, no, the gospel, if you've believed it, it transforms, it changes, it saves you. He says this gospel, he says, hold fast to it. Hold fast. He's saying it's good that you believe. He wants to encourage them. Walk in it. So hold fast. There were, there were people, there was desires, there was temptations that came into the Corinthian lives and tried to make them move away from Jesus, to live apart from Jesus. Listen, there's people, there's desires, there's temptations in your life that will come to try to move you away from living with Jesus. I was thinking of this this morning as I was going back over my notes. When I was a young guy in in high school, there's people that just constantly were calling me away from Jesus. Now, I wasn't a follower of Jesus at, the time, at that time, but they were calling me into the things of the world. And I grew up in a very moralistic household. So, like, in my mind, I was a follower of Jesus. You know, we believed the Ten Commandments. We did good to other people. That, and they would say, Rob, come try this. Come to this party. Hey, drink this stuff. 
<laughs> and I'd be like, no, no, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. And they'd be like, hey, don't knock it till you try it. You ever hear that one? Man, I wish I was quick-witted. I would have been like, you ever put your head underneath the semi-tire? <laughs> don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's things, there's people that will come and they'll just pull you away. They'll say, come, follow this, do this. They're going to tempt you. They're going to try to get you to walk away from Jesus. And he tells the church here, hey, this gospel, hold on to it. Don't be swayed. Don't let things pull you away. He says there's pressures, pressures of the flesh, pressures of the world that will come against all of us, and they'll come against us in various ways. So we all have our our chink in the armor, so to speak. We all have those areas that we are greatly tempted. He says, so hold on and be alert. Be alert. Hold fast to Jesus. He says, unless you believed in vain. So is Paul saying then that they can lose their salvation if you believed in vain? I, I don't think so. In light of other passages, those who believed, I, I think that they are secured. Just a few passages, John 10, 28 and 29. This is Jesus. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, if I've got you, I've got you. Nothing's taking you out of my hand. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You have been sealed by the Spirit. He saves you, and he stamps you with that seal of the Holy Spirit. You're his, and only he can open that scroll. (laughs) You belong to him. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. For, For us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates those whom he's redeemed from him. Hebrews 6, 18 to 20. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, 
a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. These are just a few verses, but these verses speak to just how Jesus saves and holds us secure. He says, if you've believed, you stand in it. He's transforming you. You're his. He sealed you. Be encouraged. Hold fast to that truth and walk in it. Be changed. Be transformed. So he's encouraging the Corinthians uh, in their circumstance, but I hope he's encouraging you and yours in this year to come. No matter what happens this year, you're his. If you have believed and you're standing in this gospel, you are his and he is with you through everything that will come. No matter what that valley of the shadow of death looks like, it is just a shadow. Death has lost its sting. It has no power over you. Christ has you because he has done it and he has promised it by himself. It is secure. It is sure. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that we are to make sure of our faith. We make sure of our faith. We, we ask ourselves, Honestly, do I believe this? Have I really believed this gospel? Have you received it? Have I said, yes, I need Christ to save me. I am a wretched sinner in need of a Savior, and He is the great Savior. Have I received forgiveness that comes from Him? And then are you standing and continually desiring to stand on the gospel? I mean, that's a question that only you can answer. I mean, I can look at people's lives and say, man, I, I think that guy, that gal, they've received Jesus. I look at their life. I see how they live. But, but there's some people who are really good at faking it. They're really good at being religious. They're really good at doing all the things required to look like a Christian. There's people that actually look better than Christians at Christianity. I'm thinking of the Mormon church. I mean, they do things really well. But if you haven't believed this gospel, you're not saved. It doesn't matter how well you hold to those things. It's have you held on to Jesus? Have you received him? Has he transformed your life? And all of these things, Paul's saying, this is what is First and foremost in our, in our life, Jesus and this gospel. So Jesus talks about those who make a religious show of faith and, and calls them hypocrites. Look at Matthew 15, 7 through 9. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Here's a false gospel. Do the works of God and you will be saved. Be a good person, you will be saved. Read your Bible, go to the church, give your tithe, do missions, on and on and on. Whatever the commandments are, keep the commandments and you will be saved. That's a false gospel. He says, you hypocrites, you, you, you say you love me, but you're far from me. You don't even know me is what Jesus is saying to them. So that, that question about faith, 
When you received Jesus, was it out of your need for Jesus or was it out of your wants? Did you see that you needed a Savior or did you just want the benefits of a Savior? There's a difference there. It seems subtle, but one is selfishness. One is saying, oh, I want that. That's for me. And that's for me, and I'll take that, and I'll take that there. Oh, I don't like how they do that, so I'll take that one. No, when we come, it should be out of our desperate need. Now, let me say this. <laughs> I may have some people like, oh, gosh, I don't even know if I'm saved now. You're up there talking, you got me all confused and everything. You know what? That's okay. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to not understand the mysteries of God. That's what makes him God. It's okay to, to be grappling with things and saying, I don't understand at this time what God's doing in my circumstance, but I know he's God and I know he's good. It's okay to struggle to see God at times, especially it's hard when we have pain, when we have suffering. That's normal. That's normal. It's also okay that as we go through seasons of hiddenness, where God seems hidden from us, doesn't seem to be near or to be found, those things are normal in our, in our walk. But do you believe the gospel? Have you received the gospel? Those times, those confusions, the not understanding, those, those times they don't negate genuine faith. In fact, coming through those times, they actually grow your faith. I mean, think about the other side of those seasons that you've walked. Your faith is much stronger, is it not? It's much deeper. The relationship you have with God is much closer. So Paul is talking about a real understanding of Christ crucified for us, who is our Savior, who is near to us, who we walk with. And that's where verses 3 and 4 come in. That's where he's going to unpack it all. So he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. And I, I went on, I went to five, sorry. And then to the apostles, and then lastly to Paul. What Paul says in verses 3 and 4, he, he wants to talk about the gospel. He says, I delivered what I received. So Paul did not make up this gospel message, but it's from the revelation of the Holy Spirit to him. It's Christ revealing this to him. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he writes this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? He says, the, the gospel I'm preaching to you is the same gospel I myself had to believe. I had to hear this, and Jesus revealed this to me. He showed me where I was wrong, where I was preaching a false gospel and persecuting the church. Christ revealed the truth to me. I believed it. I received it, 
and now I'm giving you that same message. He's, he's saying it's not my message, it's actually God's message. So this revelation is rooted in the word of God. What God said through the prophets was no different than what Jesus taught and what the Spirit revealed to Paul as fulfilled. So here's just some passages. Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, 12 to the end. Isaiah 53, and then Jesus here in Matthew 12, 39 through 40. All of these things. This is the gospel rooted in history. It actually was fulfilled. We can see that what God said would happen has happened. And so our, our gospel story is not something made up. It's something revealed from heaven. It's given to us by God. It's a revelation. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Notice that the preacher does not make the gospel. If he makes it, it's not worth you having. I like that. If I make it, it's not worth you having. If it's from me, if it's the gospel according to Rob, then you don't need it. <laughs> you like thanks, but no thanks. Spurgeon goes on, he says, Our religion is not based upon opinions, but upon facts. We hear persons sometimes saying, those are your views, and these are ours. Have you not heard that in our culture? Well, that, that's truth for you. Oh, well, that's okay for you, but I believe that. Spurgeon went through the same thing. <laughs> it's no different. Man saying the same thing now as he did then. Well, okay, well, Jesus for you then. Well, it's the same today. And he says, we're rooted in fact. And some people will say, that's your view but these are ours. He says, whatever your views may be, it is a small matter. What are the facts of the case? End quote. What are the facts of the case? That Jesus came, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, went to the cross. He was dead on the cross for sin. He was buried. And on the third day, he was resurrected. These are facts that prove what God said about salvation coming to man. The world likes the idea of the gospel, but not the reality of the gospel. We like the idea of having a salvation of some sort or being able to get to heaven in some way. Think of all the different variations that man comes up with uh, to make the gospel acceptable to current listeners. All the various ways people apply the message of the cross. I have a list here. These are all false gospels. In some way, they're deficient. The social justice or the social activist gospel, it's not the gospel that saves. Universalism or a judgmentless gospel, that's not the gospel of the Bible. The unity gospel, kumbaya, that's not the gospel. The prosperity gospel. The therapeutic self-help gospel. I want you to live your best life now. <laughs> we believe this book. Now I'm not going to talk from it. Let's just put it over here. Therapeutic gospel. Self-help gospel. Not the gospel. God is love only. That's a false gospel too. New age mystic gospel. A poverty or suffering gospel. This is the opposite of the prosperity gospel. One says we should prosper. The other one says we should suffer. A moralistic gospel. 
That's the one I, I grew up in. It was a moralistic gospel. It was not the gospel. See, man wants things that fit, that feel right to them, that, that, that work. And they come up with all these different ways. The message that Paul delivers is the only message. It's the only message that cures or fixes our sin problem. The biblical gospel is the only tool that works. I have a fun clip for you. This is from The Little Mermaid. Check this out. A dingle hopper. You just saw a false teacher. I mean, it, it's, it's comical when you know the real truth of what those items are. But these false gospels, these false teachers, they sound good. They, they sound knowledgeable. They're friendly. In the end. They are as lost as the one who doesn't have Christ, who's coming to them. And to those who know the truth, when you know what, is, what those items are, those false gospels, they appear foolish, and they also appear extremely dangerous because they lead people astray, away from, from salvation. If you think about the movie... Later on, she's believed everything that Scuttle has told her about these items because what does she do? She's sitting at dinner with, with the prince and they have the whole set of stuff in front of her and everything. She sees the dinglehopper and she picks it up and she looks at him and she's like combing her hair with the fork, you know? She's bought into that false gospel. Paul's saying there's only one gospel that saves. There's only one gospel instead of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 8, Paul just talks about how Christ 
appeared, how it's proven. It's, it's, it's that proof of the life, death, and resurrection. He points out all of those witnesses. And then he says in one spot, there's a great multitude who remain. There's a great multitude. Go ask them. They've seen him. They were with them. It's a verifiable historic fact, the resurrection of Jesus. This life, death, and resurrection, that's what we remember at the Lord's table. That's what we celebrate at the beginning of every month. This gospel, this gospel that saves us, this gospel that's going to carry us through another year, that gives us a hope eternal, that we don't have to worry about the circumstances of this year because Christ has us. He's walking with us. He saved us. Why is this gospel so significant? Because it is the only one, it's the only means given by God to man to accomplish our salvation. What is this gospel that we think about? That Everything was good at the creation. God created it all perfect, and it was good. He pronounced it good. But man rebelled and fell into sin, and the curse came, and we all are under the curse. We all have a sin nature. We are all dead in sin. Because of Adam's sin, we all are in sin. So then there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a way to have forgiveness, well, the only way a sacrifice can be made is if there is one that is guiltless. The guilty can't make a sufficient sacrifice. So one who is guiltless must be that sacrifice. And so Christ comes and takes on flesh. He becomes man, fully man, fully God. That has to be part of your theology. Only God can save us. Only God gives us forgiveness because we have transgressed against God, but we need a perfect sacrifice, so he has to be sinless man. He comes as the last Adam, sinless, to give himself for us, to be that sacrifice on our behalf. And then by faith and by grace and through Christ, we can be born again. We believe that he pays the penalty for our sin. He was broken for our transgressions. When we take the Lord's table, we, we take the bread that is his body broken for us. We drink the cup that is his blood shed for us. It's the only way that we are made new. It's the only way our sins are forgiven. We remember that gospel at the table. So we celebrate this. So the question as, as we get ready to take the table, have you believed? Have you believed this gospel? Have you received it? And are you standing in it? If you have professed Jesus as your Savior, you have believed this gospel and you've received this gospel, then the table's for you. It's for the church to celebrate together. So we come together in this moment the first Sunday of the new year, remembering that Christ died for us and he saves us and he calls us to himself and he gives us a hope that is secure and eternal. Will you stand with me?
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this gospel. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Through Christ, we have been redeemed, and we come to celebrate all that you've done on our behalf. We thank you that Paul reminds the church that this, this is the most important thing. It's in this gospel that we have new life and we have unity one to another and we have a new relationship with you. So God, as we come to the table, I, I just pray that we would just search ourselves, not just asking that question, have we believed this, but search ourselves and just repent of anything that stands between us and you in this moment. Holy Spirit, would you reveal that? I just pray that we repent of those things that have caused us to stumble and put up walls between us and you, that we wouldn't make a mockery of your sacrifice, but that we would want to come clean of conscience. You tell us in the scriptures, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to remove our sins, as far as the east is from the west. So we, we come in confession and humility, saying, this Jesus is the only one who saves And he is my Savior. He was broken for me. He bled for me. In him, I have new life. And I celebrate that looking to his return. So we take communion together, your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.